When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Ladies, we know what we want from our birth control. But what about what's in our birth control? That's why I chose the 100% hormone-free Paragard intrauterine copper contraceptive. It's the only birth control that uses just one simple active ingredient to prevent pregnancy over 99% of the time with no hormones and no daily routines. Paragard is a small IUD that prevents pregnancy for up to 10 years using copper. Ready to get what you want? Talk to your healthcare provider to see if Paragard could be right for you. Don't use if you have a pelvic infection, including PID, get infections easily, certain cancers, Wilson's disease, or a copper allergy. Pregnancy is rare but can be life-threatening and cause infertility or loss of pregnancy. Paragard may attach to or go through the uterus. Tell your healthcare provider if you miss a period, have abdominal pain, or it comes out. At first, periods may become heavier and longer with spotting in between. It won't protect against HIV or STDs. For product information or to learn more, visit Paragard.com. Maryland sports fans, there's only one sports book in the great state of Maryland with over 50 years experience booking bets and supporting customers. Betfred Sportsbook at Long Shots is now open and is the only sports book in Frederick offering cash betting on football, basketball, world soccer, and more. Visit the Betfred Sportsbook at I-270 and MD-85 in Frederick, right next to Longshot's Off-Track Betting. Go to BetfredSports.com for more information and your chance to win exclusive merchandise. Must be 21 or older. Play responsibly. For help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hey out there, rock and rollers. Welcome to the 80th episode of the Ugly American Werewolf in London Rock Podcast, where we bring you the UK perspective to the US rock fan and vice versa. And longtime listeners of the show know that last week's episode was very special to us because we hosted the one and only Jeff Downs of The Buggles of Asia fame. And of, yes, currently about to embark on their Close to the Edge 50th anniversary tour. We were, of course, very excited to talk to Jeff and had the opportunity to talk to him right after the loss of legendary drummer Alan White, who had just passed away days before our conversation with Jeff. And, of course, now, yes, dedicating the Close to the Edge 50th tour to Alan, which was the first tour he ever performed with, yes, 50 years ago uh, this year. And, of course, we talked a little bit about the new Asia in Asia box set commemorating that special night in Tokyo in 1983 where Asia broadcast live via satellite on MTV, the first concert of its kind ever broadcast. Uh, And that box set does come out June 10th. And for those Asia fans out there, you're going to love this episode, too, because we've got a very special guest, Carl Palmer. That's right. 
of Emerson, Lake, and Palmer fame and founding member, drummer of Asia. He's going to come on and talk about that night in the box set a little bit and some of the other details of his career, which we're really excited about. Two big Asia fans getting to have two Asia founders on the show back-to-back in as many weeks. It's really great, and we couldn't do it without our Pantheon Podcast Network brothers and sisters. For those of you who know the show, know that for the last few months, we have been members of Pantheon Podcasts, and you can check out at Pantheon Pods or PantheonPodcast.com, about a hundred different amazing music shows, not all rock and roll, but great music shows, every genre. There's definitely something for you in there, and I highly encourage you to go check it out. And we, we love to give shout outs to our friends and family, uh, like Jay Scott at The Hook Rocks, who has an amazing show. He's breaking new artists, but he's also having some classic artists that you know and love on there, has great guests and is a great show. Comes out two, three times a week. Also want to give a shout out to Paul Stevenson uh, at Vintage Rock Pod, who now has a daily show, This Day Rocks, and and The Wolf has appeared on that a few times. Uh, We'll be on June 9th uh, as this show is uh, released, uh, and he's been on our show recently about Oasis, which has been a popular show as both Liam and Noel Gallagher are touring the UK this month, this June, and I'm going to go see Noel here very soon. But we have to talk about some very tragic news, a very sad and somber time in the Pantheon world. Everyone here knows that we're big fans and friends of Tom and Zeus of the Shout It Out Loud cast. They've got the best KISS podcast in the whole world. Uh, they were recently on our show talking about revenge. And I got to tell you, they're super good to their fans and their listeners. And we were fans and listeners at the beginning. Uh, and they were always very encouraging to us, especially Tom, who I reached out to several times as we were dr- growing the Ugly American Werewolf in London podcast. And he was always just giving us advice and, and, and helping us move forward. And unfortunately, Tom had a very serious tragedy uh, affect him this week. He lost his wife, Bridget. Uh, she had a brief illness, but unfortunately, she succumbed to it. It's very sad. And, and my heart goes out to Tom. I don't know him that well. I've really only spoken to him once via Zoom, but from what I know of our limited interactions in his show, he's a tough guy with a big heart, and there's nothing I can say or do to make this time in your life any easier, Tom. Uh, Just know that you've got a lot of friends and fans all around the world who love you, and I'm one of them. So is Action Jackson, uh, and we're thinking about you, and we we are grieving with you. Uh, Only hope the best for you and, and your family moving on a really sad moment, and we hope that you're doing okay in this terrible time. We have fun on our show, as do the Shout It Out Loud guys. It's a break from the realities of life, but sometimes this rock and roll fantasy world that we try to live in is interrupted by real life, and obviously this kind of tragedy sobers you up and makes you realize what's important in life. So hug that loved one, keep them close to you, don't wait to tell them that you love them, say what you got to say, while you have time to say it. But we're going to move forward with our show, and we really appreciate everybody listening. And Last week's episode on Jeff Downs was very popular. We appreciate that, and we're hopeful that you're going to download and subscribe wherever you get your podcast, be it Apple, Spotify, Google Play, Good Pods, anywhere you get them. And if you think about it, if you want to give us a positive review, that's just a huge help. We really appreciate it. It helps us find more rock and roll fans like you, and if we get wind of it, we find it, We might just read it on the air. But this week, we're going to turn our attention 
to our interview with Carl Palmer. And I got to tell you, he was a very generous man, generous of spirit, generous with his time, a funny guy. Relive some stories from really the Asia days as we're focused on the Asia box set coming out on June 10th. Uh, and it's not just a box set. You can just get the CDs. You can, I think, just get the LPs. But if you want the DVD and you want all the beautiful little knickknacks and goodies and things like that, you've got to get the deluxe box set. And if you're an Asia fan, trust me, you're going to want to. It's beautiful. It has all sorts of little treasures in it, be it photos of the band, a colorful booklet, reprints of the tickets. you got an Asia pin in there, all sorts of little pieces, uh, some posters, some new original Roger Dean artwork, everything that makes Asia, Asia. Talking about that special night, December 6th, the Budokan in Tokyo, Japan, where they broadcast it all around the world. And it talks a little bit about the documentary leading up to it, where MTV came and visited him in the Canary Islands, talking a lot about John Wetton and what he meant to him and what he was going through at the time, because John wasn't there in Tokyo. Of course, it was Greg Lake filling in for him just six weeks before the show. Greg Lake came on and really, honestly, did an amazing job. And we'll talk about that on the show. Uh, but he's got more Asia news for later in the year coming up. So we're going to go ahead and jump into it here. For all you Asia and Emerson Lake and Palmer, Emerson Lake and Powell, Three, Quango, Carl Palmer's ELP Legacy, however you've enjoyed Carl Palmer's music over the year, I think that you'll like our interview with Carl Palmer here on The Wolf. First of all, just welcome to the Ugly Were American Werewolf in London show. We are two huge Asia fans, and it's an honor to have you on, Carl. You know, thanks for having me. It's a great pleasure to be with you both. And we're going to get into this big, beautiful box set that, uh, that Sharon at uh, Publicity Connection was happy enough to give me when I told her I was going to be interviewing you today so I could... Yes. It, it's beautiful, Carl. It's amazing. But we want to set the stage first before we get to December of 1983. Talk okay. about the buildup a bit. I mean, this is the 40th anniversary of the original Asia album, which sold over 4 million in the U.S. and is one of our very favorites. You know, famously, the first song that you all wrote together was Time Again, one on which you have a co-write. What was the, uh, what was kind of the feeling in the room after you laid that one down? Was there kind of a sense of, Yes, I think this is going to work out here. No, I can't actually tell you. It's like 40 years ago, and I can't remember what happened in the studio 40 years ago. I'll be very honest with you. Fair enough. Uh, but we'll talk about the box set. I'll tell you about that. So that box set is actually next year is the actual celebration for that, theoretically. And it was at the Budokan. Mm -hmm. And let me tell you all about that moment in time, because I do remember that, you know, writing a song and writing a piece and what happened in the studio. Really, the hours you spend in the studio, believe me, they just wash on by. But this was a particular concert that was hooked up with MTV and probably one of the very first satellite broadcasts of its type. Now, I know they've done sports events in the past, but sure. to have a rock group playing in, a, in a, an arena like the Budokan and being linked to um, MTV, quite a big deal at the time. And we have to thank David Geffen for that. Absolutely. David Geffen was the one that came up with the idea and off we went. So as you probably know, that satellite time is incredibly expensive yes. and we had to make sure that this was right. We had a couple of things going against us. 
John Wetton, which I'm sure you want to talk about, wasn't very well. Right. And uh, as you know, he was an alcoholic, a great friend of mine, one of the um, one of the dearest men in the world, loved him madly. But he he couldn't take the pressure and it had got too much for him. Okay. So we we were at a stage now where we'd signed contracts and we couldn't um, we couldn't not do this broadcast and MTV had started advertising. So we had to move forward. So um, step into the frame and Mr. John Kolodna. So John Kolodna was David Geffen's right-hand man. I know you know the man. Oh, He's been yes. involved with many bands like Aerosmith. He put them back together again way back in the day. Anyway, John Kolodna mentioned Greg Lake. Now, everybody thinks I mentioned Greg Lake, but no, I didn't. It came from John Kolodna. Greg did an excellent job. He um, had the music for about three or four days at home. Okay. He obviously learned the chords and did whatever. Then we rehearsed with him in a studio in London. And then we went to Japan. And this is the <laughs> this is quite interesting. Mm-hmm. We went down to the Kyushu Islands and we rehearsed in a Yamaha holiday camp. And when I say Yamaha holiday camp, I mean everything was stamped with the word Yamaha. Even when I took a shower <laughs> in the morning, I looked up and it said Yamaha. <laughs> But anyway, it was a great experience. Greg did a great job. The broadcast was impeccable. And if you get chance to play the DVD in that box, you'll see that it was an amazing show. And Greg, as I said, did a great job. The sound was perfect. We never really knew how good the whole deal was until about a day or two after we listened to some of the, the music stands, we listened to the, the, the audio, and uh, that was really good. We could not believe it. There wasn't a glitch the, the went through to MTV. MTV dealt with it at their end like you wouldn't believe. And uh, we were so proud of it. And uh, as I say, Greg did a great job. And that was the uh, that was a highlight of Asia's tour, of Asia's career in a way, along with the first album. So um, that's that's where we are with that one. And it was great to play the Budokan, as you know. There's been many great albums at the Budokan. Peter Frampton, I think, Kems Alive, was that there? Or was it Cheap Trick? I know there's been a few. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Cheap Trick. No, Frampton not, but Cheap Trick for sure. Anyway, great uh, great feeling in that arena. And uh, it was was a moment in time we pulled off. I mean, we just didn't know it was going to work well. So uh, that was... uh, down to David Geffen, and I thank him madly today. You know, thank you for that. There, there was a story that I heard that you guys actually recorded two takes of that, maybe just in case the satellite was a little wonky that day. Is that well, no, true? No, I'll tell you what actually happened there. We did a week with Greg in the um, in the Yamaha camp. Then we had about two days with all the technicians at the Budokan, the, the satellite technicians. It was a bit like Cape Canaveral there, to be honest, with you, the way these guys were setting it up. And uh, we, we ran through everything and uh, nothing seemed to go wrong, to tell you the truth. Nothing seemed to go wrong. Amazing. And we, we played a couple of tunes uh, and they checked with America. They went through that, whatever you have to do. And um, everything seemed to be OK. And that was it. After a couple of days of just tweaking stuff, that was it. We never ran the whole set even. We then came back, did a sound check on the day of the concert, did a sound check for them, did a sound check for us, because we're still using monitors. People weren't using in-ears at that time. Mm-hmm. And we, we we hit the show and that was it. Done. So really, the, there was we, we didn't record it twice. I don't think we could. I don't think <laughs> the nerves would have let us record it twice. It was too... Uh, 
it, no, it was just, it was too much, to be honest with you. Understand. But no, I had a great time doing it. And as I say, technology worked for us. I mean, what a great thing to do, actually. Just think of what could have gone wrong there. You could have lost the picture into MTV. You could have lost it across America. This could have been a terrible problem with the sound. It could have been delayed sound. It could have been out of sync. I mean, there's all of this to go on, you know. You know what it's like when you've watched a, a boxing match, you know, satellite years ago, way back in the 70s or whatever. I watched Muhammad Ali fight a few times, and I used to think to myself, wow, is that a bit slow? And, of course, you know, <laughs> things did happen. But we managed to crack it, and uh, thank God we did. And uh, the product that you've got there, uh, designed by Roger Dean, as always, um, there is a CD in there of the recording, plus vinyls. Yeah, there's a vinyl in there. Um, the vinyls are so nice, I don't even want to play them, Carl. I mean, it's beautiful white <laughs> and yellow vinyl. I just don't want to scratch them. <laughs> I, I wouldn't even play it. I don't know why people like vinyl so much, but there you go. Call me old-fashioned. Anyway, <laughs> I uh, yeah, it's, it's great. There's a nice badge in there also. I'll tell you what is in there that is really good. We managed to get reproductions of the ticket stubs that we yes. used on that day, along with the poster. So all of that works well. And uh, what's happened is, is that... Um, We've got invited back. It won't be a satellite broadcast to MTV because I don't play music anymore, as you well know. Right. But we've been invited back to do the uh, to do the same show. We might add a new song here and there uh, next year. So I don't know whether it will be the Budokan, but it's on the cards. And any plans to record that show? Um, I, I don't know where it will be yet. We've just talked about it. I mean, to tell you the truth, Asia has a great standing in Japan. Sure. And even though the band has changed, you know, we, we don't have John Wetton anymore. We don't have Steve Howe in there. Um, it's, it's, you know, it's kind of different. But, you know, we've got Billy Sherwood on bass, who's been with us since 2017, 18, when we supported Journey in America. And uh, he's done a great job. And now we've got Mark Benilla on lead vocals and uh, lead guitar. He's got a similar timber to his voice that Greg Lake had. And uh, I, th I think it's going to work out well. I'll tell you what is ironic, though, which I'd like to bring to your attention. It, it is very, very weird that when Greg left, left King Crimson, King John Wetton replaced him in King Crimson. That's right. And when John Wetton left Asia... Greg Lake replaced John Wetton. So it's incredible. Musical chairs. Indeed. In your opinion, could anyone else have come in for Wetton except for Lake at that point in time? I, you know, I had I had no idea. I didn't even think of Greg, as I mentioned to you earlier. So I just don't know. Uh, I don't know who would have done it, but what a great choice. He's, uh, yeah. Greg's voice is slightly lower. I would say that John Wetton's voice is extremely, uh, extremely good, radio friendly. I mean, absolutely. But both of them uh, sound very, very English. And that's what had to be that, you know, that's the uh, that was the call of the day, uh, except um, what did happen? There were, oh, there was a little um, a little sort of altercation or thing that went on there. We did the smile has left your eyes and. Um, it was a, it's a great sort of piano and vocal song, you know, no drums, yes. nothing else. It's really, really very nice. Anyway, Greg said he couldn't sing it in the key that John Wetton sang it in. So Jeff Downs learnt it in the lower key. It's always mm -hmm. going to be lower. You know, it's not going to go up. <laughs> right. And uh, he learnt it in the lower key. And um, that was it. And we did it rehearsals and that was it. Anyway, come the evening <laughs> of the show, of the satellite broadcast, Jeff completely forgot and played it in the original key. Oh, to this no. day, Greg Lake never said a word. Wow. <laughs> well, he's a pro. Him. 
He's a, he, no, he's, he's, a, he's a lovely man, and I miss him dearly, as I do, Keith. I have no doubt. And another one of the treasures you mentioned, yes, reprinted tickets, some great photos of you guys, some great Roger Dean posters and things in there. But they've got this beautiful 40-page booklet, which kind of outlines all of your uh, equipment and all that kind of thing. And it told a story. You mentioned that MTV's invited you back to do it again. And I guess I'd not known this, but in the book it says that before we lost John uh, in 2016, there were talks about bringing him back, bringing Asia back to do the original set list, but this time with John in the band. Was it something that he regretted not being a part of later? Because it was such a big part of of your legacy now to do this amazing thing broadcast around the world that no one had ever done before. Right. Well, you have to understand that, you know, John always thought of Asia as his band. It happened very late in John's life where he finally got the success that he deserved as a writer, as a performer. Mm -hmm. there, 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 was, there was no way that he could cope with the situation at the time. And obviously, you know, to be able to redo something like a satellite broadcast, it's quite a hard call, actually. You know, you know that's really not going to happen. Uh, another concert uh, to celebrate the anniversary, maybe in the Budokan, it won't be with MTV because they're, they're not involved in music, as I said, and it wouldn't be a satellite broadcast, I wouldn't think. But, uh, you know, John wanted to do it because the last the last 13, 14 years of his life, he was absolutely clean. I mean, this guy completely turned his life down from round, from sleeping on park benches to actually being as straight as you can ever imagine. And his voice was better. It was his voice brilliant. had got better at the end. I mean, this is, um, I've always, um, you know, with bass players, I never really like listen to a lot of what bass players play because I play and I expect them to follow me, you know. Okay. Um, I'm a bit <laughs> arrogant like that. You know, I've got, okay. I've got two really good feet and I say, you know, come on, guy, you know, just, just you know, step up and, you know, take the challenge here, you know. And I can usually get most bass players to speed up and going into a chorus, I like to edge it in just a little bit, you know. I could get Greg to speed up. I could get most people to move. John Wetton was like the rock of Gibraltar. Really? You could not move him. And, I, you know, we used to laugh and he used to drive me nuts. But for some unknown reason, he was probably, he had this internal metronome. He was unbelievable, unbelievable. And uh, as I say, I missed him dearly, but he was absolutely great. Uh, a great bass player, underrated, I personally think. He didn't play a lot of frills and trills, which he could do. And if I would ask him, come on, John, fill this out time again. Again, like you mentioned, come on, play a bit in there. He would do it, but for some unknown reason, he had this kind of uh, almost Paul McCartney thing. You know, the bass had to play the meat and potatoes, the uh, the root note to the chord, and maybe mm -hmm. the odd passing note, and that was it. And that was John's philosophy. But he could he could play well to be in King Crimson. You know, he would have to have to play well for sure. Yeah, absolutely. You know, what, one question I did want to ask you, Carl, is you went from a three piece in in Emerson Lake and Palmer to Asia. Did your drumming, did, did it change at all? And, and how was that dynamic different? I was always curious about that. You know, I've been asked that question many times, and it's, it's, a, good, uh, it's a good question. You know, Asia was put together for, because of necessity, if the truth okay. was really known. Okay. To understand that by the time you got to the end of the 70s, American radio was not like it was in the past. American radio was an art form. 
and you could get anything played on American radio, and it was unbelievable. And English musicians used to just talk about, wow, over there you can get, you know, you can get a prog track played at in drive time, one o'clock in the afternoon. You know, obviously, you know, and that that to us was, you know, unbelievable. I mean, it was difficult to do that in the 70s here in UK, but in America you could. At the end of the 70s, all of that stopped. It all went corporate. And, you know, DJs were told what they could say. Uh, record companies would even come to artists and say, look, make every second line of your, your chorus rhyme. Uh, your intro can't be more than 20 seconds because the DJs can't talk longer than that. And we used to say, look, if, if you know all of that, why don't you record and write the stuff yourself? You know, <laughs> you do it. Yeah. Um, so Asia was a little bit of a necessity. We had to do things like Time Again, Wildest Dreams. We had to try and get some prog stuff in there, but we had to condense it. We had to make that 15, 20 minute piece. Possibly we might be able to get to six minutes if we're lucky. And that's the only way we could get that to survive. Now, we had the pop tunes because... Geffen wanted radio play. Um, you know, Emerson, Lake and Palmer had like, its, its commercial tunes, like Lucky yes. Man from the beginning, mm -hmm. Still You Turn Me On. So this is not something that's new. All bands have done this. You get the out-and-out -out prog bands like Early Dream Theatre never had any songs like that. And, and I think they're a great band, by the way, but I'm just saying that, you know, Emerson, Lake and Palmer just wasn't a prog band. And Asia realised that now we're in the 80s, we still need that one song, whether it be Owner of a Lonely Heart or Lucky Man or Heat of the Moment, and we need some depth to the album. We've got to have both because that's what we do. So for me, yes, it was a radical change like it was for everyone else. Uh, but you know something? If a tune's good, I'll play four on the floor. I'm ready. I'll do a Mick Fleetwood anytime you're ready. If the song's there, if it's not, then I always say, you know, and that was my uh, that was my lead role really with them. Um, ELP. I mean, I'll be honest with you that um, there was one person that Greg and Keith trusted implicitly, and that was me. And if one of them wrote something and they wrote more than me, as both of you well know, you know, if I, you know, made a comment, it was taken unbelievably seriously. And I had to be very careful how many times I voiced my opinion because I know it would sink in there deep. And, you know, and I tried to be, get it right because, you know, I was, you know, the referee in a way, you know, oh. to what was going on. And, uh, yeah, um, it, it, it was a great experience. And like with Asia, it's, it was a similar kind of thing. Not that I, I refereed anything or did anything like that. But with Asia, we had uh, a lot more sort of um, not maturity in writing songs, but there was more possibilities because I didn't write songs in ELP, nor did Keith. Greg only did. But in Asia, you had Steve Howe who wrote some songs. You had Jeff coming from the Buggles who wrote songs. And John Wetton, who was the one of the greatest lead line writers, you know, for a song, top line melody writer ever, you Absolutely. know, ever. So, uh, yeah, I, I was ready to, to listen to whatever came forward. Heat of the Moment, just so you guys know, uh, was uh, originally um, country and Western track. And it was in 3-4, and it sounded really weird, but that's how John had written it. And it was about 2 o'clock in the morning we recorded it. It was the last thing of the day, and John was very clever, very clever. He knew that if he did it early in the day, we'd all overplay. We'd all be, like, flashing around <laughs> doing whatever, especially me, because he knew me wrong. <laughs> um, uh, so we did this at uh, 2 o'clock in the morning, and I have to say to you, it wasn't a country and western song then. And it isn't now, and it was never recorded that way. It became uh, an out-and-out -out pop song. And it, uh, 
I think it's probably about the second take we got it. The vocals were you know, wow. two or three, but the second wow. take for the uh, for the backing for the back. Basically, basically we record the bass guitar and drums and rhythm guitar, and then always overdub keyboards and backing vocals and lead vocals. So that's how that happened. Well, the other thing that changed in a big way in the early 80s, it wasn't just radio was changing, but suddenly, at least in the United States, there's this thing called MTV, right? And now Gavin yeah. is investing in making your videos, getting Godly and Cream to come in and, yeah. and make those first videos. The, the Don't Cry video from Alpha is epic. It, it cost, you know, six figures back in the day. What did you feel about that? I mean, you made concert films with ELP, but they've never done these videos where you actually kind of had to act or play to the camera. What, what was your did, feeling? Yeah. They did, though, didn't they? Don't cry. We're like in the desert, chopping my way through some jungle, you know. Yeah. It was a bit, it was a bit monkeys, but, you know, we did it. Look, at the time, that was the media, that was the force you had to use to get your stuff played. And you had to have a video that meant something. They weren't, you know, most of Godly and Cream stuff I thought was excellent. Yes. Uh, only time will tell, heat of the moment. Don't cry, you know, maybe look, Indiana Jones, it was like. <laughs> yes. We didn't yes. really need that. But, um, yeah, you know, uh, I enjoyed working with them. They were really um, professional. They knew exactly what they wanted. And you couldn't really um, set them off the, the track. You know, they had a clear vision. And they were usually right every time, I have to say. And Geffen, he just wanted to use them. And they were English guys, so we got on well. So the whole thing just clicked. Yeah, and it definitely that definitely helped put you over the top in the United States. Because at that point in time, yeah, MTV was everything. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll tell you what was very, very weird. Uh, we were re we came over to America with our first album and we were rehearsing in a place called Liditz, Pennsylvania. It's where the Clare Brothers are. They're the big sound company over there that lots of people use and uh, okay. Yes use them and Aisha use them. And I don't think ELP ever used them, probably because Yes had used them. But anyway, I remember being in Liditz and there's a three of us because Steve would never go out in the sunshine, but there's a three of us. <laughs> John Wetton, Jeff and myself sitting by the pool and we're talking. And there's a, there's a couple of girls, young ladies by the pool, and they've got their Walkmans. It was the day of the Walkman. And we could hear them play the Asia album because it was on cassette, obviously. And uh, we're just cracking up because they had no idea what we looked like. And uh, <laughs> that, that was one of those great moments where you can hear people, see them enjoying the music, and then you wait for the, you wait for the, what are they going to say? Are they going to talk? <laughs> no, but, uh, no, they played it back to back. It was lovely. Really enjoyed that. <laughs> nice. Well, you know, for years, I, I feel like, because in Dave Gallant's book, Heat of the Moment, about your band, Jeff kind of said, Although it was a financial success, Asian Asia and the tour of Japan, ultimately it didn't work out with Greg Lake. And, and of course you came back, got John back in the band, but then that led to Steve's departure. But now it just seems like this is something we need to celebrate. I mean, bouncing it off satellites all over the stratosphere to make this happen, broadcasting on 200 plus channels on Westwood One Radio. And like you said, it <laughs> sounded amazing. Yeah. You know, why is this the right time to finally release this special, beautiful, amazing collector's edition box set of this? Well, as I said, you know, the, the band is playing this year and we've decided to try and sort of come back and celebrate the very first album, which is, this is the anniversary this year. Yes. Um, We've seemed very, very happy and settled with uh, Mark Vanilla being on lead vocals and lead guitar. 
And it just seemed right that whatever we've got there that we can use right now, because look, the world's not waiting for a new Asia album. Let's be very honest about that. The world is not waiting for a new Asia album. But if we can reestablish what we did in the past and how great it was, maybe we can build the, the tour de force up again and get to that stage. So that's really the idea here. So this is part of that sort of longer plan. Let's get this year out the way with this tour. Let's get everything kind of settled in there with Mark. Let's go into next year with the box set and possibly play the box set in America as well as Japan and maybe in Europe. And then, you know, slide in slowly. I don't think it's anything you can rush these days. As I said, the world's not wasting for an Asia album, but the world could be waiting for us to remind them of what we did do once when it was super cool and super successful. Well, first of all, Carl, the two of us are waiting for a new Asia album. So if you wanted to do that, please uh, go ahead. <laughs> the, the other thing that you guys uh, released recently was the was the live box set, which is incredible. We actually did a whole review of it on oh, our yeah. show. Love that. Love the artwork. Love everything about it. Are there any plans for any more of that? Maybe a volume two? Well, I don't think there's any plans for any more at the moment. Um, as you know, we're with BMG, who I've always wanted Asia to be with because the ELP catalog is with BMG as well. Um, there's no plans at the moment, but that's not to say on this uh, up and coming tour, um, we might consider record. We record live every night anyway, uh, but it's from the desk. We don't bring in a separate unit. So we will just sort of see where we are. But um, who knows? Who knows what can happen? I'm not sure. As I say, we've not really sat in the rehearsal room with Mark yet. We've only talked, we've discussed, had a few Zoom calls and this and that. And uh, yeah, I mean, let's see where we can take it. And I'm sure that uh, I'm sure there's a lot more to come than what I can tell you at the moment. Fair enough. Well, it's great. Not only on the DVD do you have the amazing concert, but there was a Road to Budokan documentary leading up to it. And it showed you on Tenerife, you know, staying in yes. shape and, you know, with your infant daughter on your leg saying, boy, I hope she becomes a lawyer one day that's going to save me some fees. And being able to see Steve with his kids. And of course, you know, Virgil's not with us anymore. It just seems like it was an amazing time in your lives. And that's not something MVTV re-ran a whole lot. So I think just being able, not only being able to see the show, but to see that documentary, to see you guys in your element and getting ready for the show is something really special. Do you remember them coming to see you in the Canary Islands? Yeah, I mean, I, I lived in the Canary Islands for, for 23 years, you know, and I had a great time. I mean, I've been back in England since 2004. Uh, yes, I remember the MTV crew coming over and they had a couple of days off in the hotel and I took them around. And then we went up the mountains. I rode my bike. I went and practiced my snare drum up there, whatever. And we had a great time. And um, to be honest with you, um, it uh, is one of those moments that you don't forget to tell you the truth, mainly because it was spread over maybe four or five days they were with me. It was it was extremely exciting. And I think everyone came off well in that DVD. And uh one thing which is interesting um, is that my daughter actually is a lawyer. She ended up being a lawyer. She fulfilled the dream. You manifested yeah. that. Yes, well done. Yeah, 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 yeah. She's never done any work for me. You know, she tells me she's too expensive. Don't bother, Dad. I'll find you someone else. But she is a lawyer, yeah. Good stuff. Excellent. The U.S. tour, any any dates, cities confirmed? How's that working? Yeah, we, we do. We have, uh, we have cities confirmed, but not a routing. 
of the cities. We don't know exactly what all, I mean, I've got some of them here, but I don't want to mention them because people get, hey, you know, what date, you know. Right. Yes, there's about, there's about, we're going to be about 20, just over 20 dates. There's going to be X amount of those concerts with Alan Parsons. Oh, wow. So there's Alan Parsons. Okay. Yeah, Alan Parsons and uh, and Asia. And I believe we're going to start the end of July and we pick up dates with Alan round about August the 6th. And, and that's basically sort of how that's, that works. Asia's been out with Alan before on a previous tour way back, not in the day, but whenever it was, 2017. I think we played some dates with him or 16 or whenever. And I played with Alan with my band, Carl Palmer's ELP Legacy, uh, in February this year in Florida. Oh, so okay. there's always been a bit of a relationship there between us. So that, that should be pretty good. And and Asia will do, um, you know, will do all the dates that you have to do in the summer, really, you know. And I th- as I said, th- there'll be between six to eight with Alan, I think, at the moment. That they're still, I mean, I'm amazed these days. I always thought you had to put tickets on sale early, you know. We're going out there in August and we're at the end of May now and uh, <laughs> there's no tickets on sale. So it's very weird how these things, how things have changed over the years, you know. Yeah, no, and so I have seen you play a couple times with Asia. I saw you when you first got together on your first tour back together 2006, 2007 in Chicago. But I saw you uh, open for Journey right after you lost John. And I, I called Jackson right after the show to say, look, it, they were great. It was good to see them. But Carl Palmer is in great shape. He's still killing it on the drums and he's taking care of himself. It's physically demanding to be a drummer, Carl. I and mean, I know you've gone vegan at some point. What do you do to stay in such great shape? That's why I'm not on camera because I'm over 250 pounds right now. No, I'm teasing. I don't believe that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. I, um, I, I don't do. I don't. I hate being on camera. What do I do? Well, yeah, I, I was a vegan for about thirteen years. Um, I've started eating. Um, I wouldn't eat anything that had a face. In other words, you know, no dairy, sure. nothing. I've started eating fish. I've had. Uh, I've had to start eating. I've been. I needed the omega three. My muscles getting joints getting a little bit stiff, mm. and basically, I. I don't drink very much. I maybe drink once a week. I've never smoked. Um, I exercise with those um, resistance bands, those yoga resistance bands, instead of weights, because weights are just too too hard on the muscles, I find. You know, with a weight, you've either got to pick it up or not. With right. a resistance band, you can stretch it as far as you want and say, hey, didn't I do well? And let go <laughs> of it, you know. You can't do that with a weight, you know, with weights. <laughs> So I'm, I'm pretty careful about what I do. I run. I've got a, a treadmill here at the back of me. Um, I'm in my sort of office at the moment. And generally, I've just always taken good care of myself. Not not out of, uh, not for any particular reason, except the fact that I, I want to carry on working as long as I possibly can. I mean, I'm 72 now, but, I, I, you know, I could go another 10 years if I really take care. And, you know, that's all I'm interested in is playing drums. That's all I'm interested in. And uh, it's been that way for, for for years. And I want to keep it as much as I possibly can. The pandemic, like, nearly killed me. I mean, I was rehearsing four or okay. five days a week at home here. But, you know, not being able to go out and play is just... Um, 
Oh, just it just really ruined me. I'll tell you what it's like. You can, uh, you know, a band or an individual can rehearse all they want at home and you can get really good on your practice pad or on your drug, whatever you do. And you can learn all your tricks and look great and whatever. Do you know something? When you go out and put it in front of an audience, it sometimes doesn't happen like it happened downstairs in your rehearsal room. Right. For some unknown reason, you've got to do it in front of people. The minute you can do it in front of people and pull it off, it's in the system. It's in the muscle memory. You're there. But, you know, you have to do that. And all performers need that. It's the only way you, you can survive, really. So um, I'm looking forward. Well, I've been touring since last November. I did my first tour last November 2021 in, uh, in America. We did about 15 concerts. I did another tour this year in February. I did uh, of America, not so many dates, and then I did the um, I did the UK tour last month, April. So yeah, no, I'm kind of I'm match fit now. I'm up and running. I'm 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 in good shape. I'm in good shape. I just got to be careful not to eat too much. That's all. <laughs> well, here's hoping you're going to play another ten years or twenty years or, or however long that you want to continue, Carl. Yeah, you, you've been a great influence on a lot of people, and we love your music, and we can't wait to see you live and see what you guys are going to release next. Thank you. Well, I thank you um, both for the interview. It's always a great pleasure, and. Uh, uh, and it's nothing personal that I'm not on camera. It's just that I didn't get my hair done today, and I'd like you to see me at my very best. <laughs> we call it the ugly American werewolf in London for a reason, Carl. We're a radio show, not a TV show, okay? No worries there. Yeah, okay, yeah. You're welcome anytime. Anytime you want to talk the tour, you want to talk the next release, you're welcome anytime, Carl. We'd love to have you. Okay, thank you so much. I do appreciate that. Thank you kindly, sir. We are big You're fans. More than welcome. Have a wonderful episode. And good luck this summer on tour. Yeah, come and see us if you can, please. Yeah, as soon as those dates go up, we'll be there. Thank you. Okay, lovely. Thank you so much. Take Bye -bye. care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye now. Bye. Hi, I'm Deborah Bonham. And I am the Irish werewolf in England, Peter Bullock. <laughs> and you're listening to the Ugly American Werewolf in London. Well, it's great to have Carl on the show. What a nice man. Absolutely. Absolutely. And when we were in our dorm room jamming out to Asia uh, 30 years ago, Jackson, would you be said, you know, one day we're going to have Carl and Jeff Downs on our radio show uh, within a week of each other. I think probably the conversation went more like, man, if we could talk to those people, we want to know this, 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 and this. And no, absolutely not. It's if you, if you would have tapped me on the shoulder then and said that night, oh yeah, by the way, you will be talking. No, there's no way. That was, that was awesome. I was definitely, definitely starstruck. Woo. He's had such an amazing legacy. I mean, before he was at ELP, he was in, what is it? The, the crazy world of Arthur Brown. With, I am the God of hell fire. He was on <laughs> that record. And that was his first tour of America in like 1968 when he was a teenager. And then he and then he got a call from one, I think it was from Greg, Greg Lake, to say, well, let's, you know, let's put this three piece together with my buddy Keith. And thank goodness. And, huh? and that was the interesting part too, when I when when we were talking about how his drumming style changed, I I knew him from Asia and then got into to ELP later. Right. And you think, wow, he was really, he was really, I don't want to say holding himself back in Asia, but definitely playing to the room. And like he said, you know, he can play four on the floor if that's what you need from him. Mm -hmm. But just definitely a guy who he understands exactly what you need and we'll give you that you want me to show off no problem yeah and he's, he's like we've got three songwriters in the room right how is an no. open channel he's written all sorts of things wetton was the lead singer songwriter of the band but jeff downs 
co-wrote most all the hits with him, basically wrote the whole second album together. So he's like, okay, guys, yeah. you know, tell me what you need and we'll go do it. And it was the same once they got back together for the reunion albums, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and it is great that they've put this box set out now because I think like for years, it was always like some kind of like janky bootleg that you could get somebody had recorded it originally right. so now to have it in all of its you know glory with the you know you're talking about the ticket stubs and the photos and the road to budokan mm-hmm. um, documentary yeah that's definitely a treat for fans yeah you know and it was it was almost treated as the red-headed stepchild of asia lore right it was like it was this amazing moment in history and honestly for cable tv and for mtv it's an enormous deal. We, we can't like overestimate how big a deal. Now it's like you want to do satellite live. It's, it's nothing. It's not that big of a deal. They right. can do it for anything, anywhere. But back then that was huge. But because it was with Greg Lake and it didn't sound quite right and they did have to tune down a little bit. And when it does, here comes the feeling, well, gosh, some of those high notes were at the high part of John's register, which is higher mm-hmm. than Greg's, right? So... You could get it on VHS, and I think you could eventually get it on Laserdisc, but they never really gave it a proper CD release or album release. They never did it on DVD. And I'll admit, and I think I've said it on one of our episodes, that I did not love the way Greg sounded in the band because he wasn't John Wett. It just wasn't right. But this deserves, this moment in time absolutely deserves this deluxe treatment and i'm so glad that i get to uh, to enjoy it absolutely and and just the, the thought of him coming in at late coming in at last minute the the it, it just speaks to how great of a musician he was that he could i mean he looked very relaxed on stage he did you know like carl mentioned you know the the song's in the wrong key but you know what I got this. Don't worry about it. I'll yeah. do it like a pro. Yeah, j- just a testament to how to how much of a uh, professional he was. I, I don't think. I mean, it, Carl said he didn't really know, but I don't think anybody else could have done it as well as quickly as Greg Lake. I think you're right about that, and it's interesting to say that to, for him to say that it wasn't his idea because everyone kind of assumes that John Collodner, right. the, the the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame A and R man of Geffen. He made the suggestion. Then Carl calls him, and Greg's like, yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't think so. No, no, <laughs> you know, because it had been five years since he was, you know, on stage with Carl. And then oh. not only did Kolodner have to get on to cajole him, but David Geffen himself reached out to Greg to say, hey, you know, we need somebody. To, why don't you just come and give it a shot? Just, just give it a chance, right? Which is funny just to think about how big a deal David Geffen is now. You know, he might be on the phone with Brad Pitt to try to get him into a movie or something like that. But back then, it's like, please, Greg, come do this, these three shows in Japan with the biggest band on my label right now. You know? Well, yeah. I mean, could you imagine that? Like, he must have, they must have had this booked and then went and can't do it. And it's like, we can't not do this concert. It's oh, huge. Trains and motion. Sold out. You, yeah. Correct. Yeah. So, so to get that done, yeah, I'm sure Geffen was, you know, okay, let me, let me get on this. Let me do this. I'll, I'll talk him into it because yeah, we can't, we can't let this thing go. We can't not do it. And MTV had put so much promotion and money into it. You right. know, not to mention Westwood One. You're broadcasting to 250 radio stations. They're doing everything they can do, you know, to make sure it goes off. They had David Mallet directing the thing, which is kind mm-hmm. of a big deal, you know. My regret on that short time we had with him was we, we didn't really get to talk about the stage. The Alpha Tour had that yeah. amazing A-frame stage, and as the drummer, Carl's used to being a couple heads above everybody, right? Yeah. yeah. But 
to accommodate the 28 keyboards of Jeff Downs or whatever it was, he had to be above him. And I just, I just wonder, what's that like to have this guy running around behind you and spotlights, you know, going over your head back there? That's just got to be a little different. It's got to throw you off a little bit. And could you imagine, too, like the road crew, like you want to do what in Japan? <laughs> right. You want to take 28 keyboards. Okay, here we go. Yeah, to get it set up every night. Yeah, it, that is weird too because I don't. I've never seen a setup like that. You're right. The drummer is always on top. I mean, sometimes like like in different stages, the lead singer will get up and like there's a catwalk or something. But to have somebody right. up there the whole time, it has to be a little disconcerting. Yeah, but you're right with the spotlights and everything else. Yeah, I mean, ACDC, you know, we'll have Angus and Brian can run up above the drum riser if they want. Obviously, an Iron right. Maiden, Bruce has basically yeah. got a track up there that he runs around on for different reasons. But to have your keyboard player, and he had to have like four different mics because he is the yeah. kind of main backup singer of Asia. So every time he was mm -hmm. at a different station, he had to pull the mic in front of his face. You know? <laughs> really amazing moment yeah, in time. Amazing that it all went together. And the other thing too, that, that we, we, I think we touched on this in one of our earlier episodes, but the whole thing was this, this first super group, right? Mm -hmm. So you were going to get somebody random in there that wouldn't have fit the business model. So to have right. Greg Lake come in, Oh, wait a minute. Yeah. ELP. Okay. Yeah. He fits. No problem. I think that would have been weird if they had had somebody who could sing, but it was like, I've never heard of this guy before. Right. Who's he? You know, and that was before right. the days. Now it's not that surprising. I, I shouldn't say it's not a big deal. But a lot of people, yes included, and Judas Priest included, they will go out and get someone from a tribute band mm -hmm. who sounds exactly, who makes their living sounding exactly like that singer. We didn't have people like that back then. Yes, people change groups, but you didn't change the singer because that that just changes the, the essentialness of the sound of the band, right? So uh, right. It, it was a big deal. But to do it in six weeks... Uh, to, to understand, to learn all the bass parts, to learn the keys, to learn the, the lyrics, and then how to sing them. Look, my, my hat's off to Greg Lake. I've given him a little stick mm -hmm. for not sounding right. It's not his fault that his voice isn't exactly like John Wetton's. He came in and did right. an amazing job. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you're right. It did kind of get maligned, and, and I think we've even talked about that. But But you're right. It did happen. And it was a huge deal. Huge. And I'm glad they put this thing out. You know, you were, you had, uh, you've got a copy of it in front of you there. It just looks gorgeous. Beautiful. And if you, yeah, if, if you're a fan and you're going to spend the money on it, you're going to get your money's worth out of this thing. It is just over the top. Well, that wraps up show number 80 of the Ugly American Werewolf in London Rock podcast. Very special thanks to Mr. Carl Palmer, a, a funny guy, a great guy, a legendary drummer and musician who's been doing this for over 50 years and is continuing his legacy by taking Asia out on the road later this year to celebrate the 40th anniversary of that eponymous first album, which contained hits like Heat of the Moment, Only Time Will Tell, Soul Survivor, here comes the feeling, time again. I think the whole album is fantastic. And as much as they were rushed on the second album, I think it sounds good right after. Listening to Asia, you can listen to Alpha right after, back to back. Get yourself an hour and a half of some killer pop rock prog tunes. The best pop rock prog album of all time, in my humble opinion. And I want to encourage you, if you're Asia fans, you've got to go out and get the Asia and Asia box set out Friday, June 10th. 
It's about a hundred quid, but you get so much in it. You can just get the CDs of the show. You can just get the LPs of the show. But if you get the box set, you get both the CDs and the LPs and an amazing booklet. Lots of little trinkets, lots of artwork, and the DVD of the original show with the introduction by Mark Goodman of MTV. And it just captures an amazing moment in time. The stage was beautiful. It was cool as hell. The big A-frame with Jeff's riser above Carl's riser with his many, many keyboards. Uh, and of course, Jeff talked a little bit about that on episode 79 when we had him on. Not only talking about Asia, but talking about the Yes, Closer to the Edge tour, which as this show comes out is just a week away. And I'm going to see them June 21st at Royal Albert Hall. So thank you to Carl, thank you to Jeff, and thank you for all you Asia fans for listening to our show. Now, as usual, guys, did we get something right? Did we get something wrong? Did we miss the point? Did we leave out your favorite part? Hey, you got to let us know. You can tweet us or DM us at ugly underscore werewolf or at actionjack72. And uh, we encourage you to let us know the bands, the DVDs, the records, the concerts that you would like us to do on the show. And if you like that Asia box set or you're curious about it, you can go to our YouTube page, go to the Ugly American Werewolf in London YouTube page where I do an unboxing of that box set. It's about a five and a half minute video and it kind of shows you what all you get. I promise you, you won't be disappointed in the quality uh, if you pick that up. Uh, it's You can get it at Burning Shed. Uh, it's out by BMG Distribution. Now next week, we're gonna have yet another fantastic guest on the show and actually someone who was in Asia for a stretch. So that's right, we're gonna have three members of Asia on the show in as many weeks. Not a founding member, so no, it's not Steve Howe, but Steve, if you're listening, we do want you to be on the show one day when you've got the opportunity. No, it's someone who had a brief stint in there, uh, but you probably know him better from his work in other bands. I'm not gonna reveal it to you right now, you're gonna have to tune in and download and subscribe wherever you get your podcast to find out who next week's guest is, but it's a great show, the great conversation, another legendary musician. So until then, all you rock and rollers and all you Asia fans all around the world, be cool and stay safe. Maryland sports fans, there's only one sports book in the great state of Maryland with over 50 years experience booking bets and supporting customers. Betfred Sportsbook at Long Shots is now open and is the only sports book in Frederick offering cash betting on football, basketball, world soccer, and more. Visit the Betfred Sportsbook at I-270 and MD-85 in Frederick, right next to Longshot's off-track betting. Go to BetfredSports.com for more information and your chance to win exclusive merchandise. Must be 21 or older. Play responsibly. For help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. 
Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.